privilege to be here. I greet you in Jesus' name, our Lord, our Savior, and the foundation of the church. Not only the founder, but the head of the church. And um, when we think of some of the questions that we face, we discussed some of them this morning, decisions and conclusions we come to, how confident can we be that we're where we should be? How confident we can we be that we got it right? Maybe it's tempting to think if we could just go back to a New Testament church, the New Testament times, wouldn't that be the best place to be? How many of you, and don't answer the question, but I'll just hypothetically pose it. How many of you would like to, you had choice, be in a New Testament church? That holds some appeal to me. How many of you, let's pose the question a little differently, how many of you would like to be part of a New Testament church that is, I mean, excuse me, part of a church that is practicing New Testament principles. And I hope you would all say, that's me, I, w I want to be there. My thoughts this morning were on the church and um, the foundation of the church and the, the confidence that we can have today that we are where we're supposed to be. How how confident can we be that, you know, you look out, we know there are thousands of options, even locally in the community here. You would have had a lot of options. Are you sure that this is the best option? Or maybe it does it matter if this is the, the best option? Thank you, Dennis. <coughs> My point is in introduction that our confidence is not that we got it right, but and rather that the foundation is sure. Jesus made that very clear. And we'll turn to Matthew 16 and take a look at that. Um, our confidence isn't in Peter and that they got it right, but it's the fact that Jesus said, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I think it's a question that we as a people struggle with a lot, or it seems like it, to know that we are where we're supposed to be, that this is how, that we're confident, that this is the way, walk in it. And especially I thought of it in putting together a series of, of messages on child training. And I came to the conclusion that many of the failures in child training have to do with that very thing. We're not convinced ourselves that 
this is the right way, walk in it. And I know that whenever you look at a problem that is, has so many different facets and factors that, but, and, and try to bring it to one, one concluding point, you can't do that. But to me, that is one of the, one of the reasons that we have failures in, in passing on the faith to the next generation. We're not convinced ourselves that this is the right way, and, we, and so we can't tell our children to, with confidence, to walk in it. We live so closely to the alternatives, the evangelical community, and by that I, the term, I, I'm simply using it as basically conservative church, non-Anabaptist conservative churches, they, you know, they're politically involved, they, they're not non-resistant, basically conformed in, in uh, dress, and yet maintain some conservative uh, thought. And we live so closely to them and borrow so much from them, and then finally you can come to the conclusion, well, if they're living the Christian life and they have all this for us to offer, what really does it matter? It's such a small step to go there that is it any wonder that that um, that happens? How convinced can we be that we are where we're supposed to be? Now turn with me to Matthew 16 and verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? <coughs> and they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he charged his, his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. So some very foundational verses on the church. Jesus asked them the simple question, Who do men say that I am? Whom do you say that I am? And Peter, being directed not from himself, but from heaven, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus looks at him and says, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. And we lose the play on words that Jesus used. You're Peter, a small piece of a rock. And upon this rock, the foundation, this massive rock, I will build my church. Clearly, 
Jesus is making distinction between the man Peter and the foundation that he was laying for the church. And then he says, And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Matthew is the gospel, the book of the kingdom of heaven. At least 30 references to the kingdom of heaven. In fact, the only time in the New Testament where the phrase is used in the Gospel of Matthew, and at least 30 times. John the Baptist came preaching the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus came and introduced the kingdom of heaven. Jesus' focus was on kingdom principles. These are the principles that kingdom members, you can identify them by by these characteristics. This is your entrance into the kingdom of heaven. The Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So you can identify kingdom members by their humility, their brokenness. That's a way of life for them. That's your entrance into the kingdom of heaven. And that opens the door to all of the other spiritual disciplines and and um, growth in the Christian life. But you have to get that, we need to get that first step right. The poor in spirit. The death to the old man, crucified with Christ. Nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live, the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so that is the key to the kingdom of heaven. The Sermon on the Mount. This is the way kingdom members respond to their enemies to in their marriage relationships. The golden rule, as you would that men should do unto you. Even so do unto others also. Basic, foundational, kingdom principles. Jesus didn't spend a lot of time talking about or laying out an administrative plan for the church. The way to ordain leaders. The structure of a local congregation. And you could get you could almost come to the conclusion that it doesn't matter. You know, that all that matters is that you're part of the kingdom of heaven. And that's a very pervasive thought. The kingdom of heaven is this ill-defined, all Christians, whoever names the name of Christ, whoever practices however they work them out kingdom principles and we don't know the bounds of the kingdom of heaven that we don't we don't we can't determine where those lines and those boundaries are and this was by design and by plan by Jesus 
he specifically taught kingdom principles and then he made he provided for the time when he would be gone no longer with the disciples and so that's what he's <coughs> excuse me I'll talk as long as I can. Um, yesterday morning I didn't know that I couldn't talk and had to make a phone call in the morning and all of a sudden somebody was talking on the other end and I'm trying to talk and I, and I really can't talk. <coughs> and then, of course, the person on the other end of the line was confused and I thought he was confused because he couldn't understand me. Finally, we, the connection was also poor, had to hang up, and I called him on the landline, and um, turns out that not only could I not talk, but I was calling the wrong person and explaining <laughs> a situation in a meeting that um, he had no idea what I was talking about. <clears throat> well, I trust that. The Lord can talk through my voice here this morning. Um, where was I? <laughs> um, <clears throat> Jesus taught kingdom principles, kingdom of heaven, and then made place, room for when he's gone. I go to prepare a place for you. If I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself. And here in this chapter, he makes provisions for the care of the church, for the kingdom of heaven in his absence. The foundation, thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. I will give you the principles. And now it is your responsibility to apply them in the situations that you'll face in local congregations. It's wrong to focus on the kingdom of heaven at the expense of local congregations. At the expense of working it out binding and loosing decisions that we make in a local congregation. And you know, you see that very clearly in, in the New Testament. Jesus, if you read the Gospels, perfection in teaching and, and practice, perfectly taught and exemplified everything that he, he taught. And that gives us a lot of confidence that that is the foundation. Did the disciples do as well? How confident can we be when Jesus gave the keys to Peter that they got it right? I mean, this is after all, Peter, if you read the verse 21 following in our, in our passage here, 
From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be far it from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan, thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. If Peter would have been the foundation, if that would have been the intent, we would be on very shaky ground. Jesus entrusted the keys of the kingdom of heaven to the disciples, knowing that they were going to stumble and fall. He specifically entrusted the keys to men of flesh like we are. We have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power might be of God and not of us. Jesus specifically taught kingdom principles and then entrusted the care of the church to the disciples who then passed it on to the next generation. In the Gospels, you see the perfection of the principles. In the book of Acts, you immediately see a human face as they faced issues and circumstances. In the letters to the churches, you see the human face. In the lives of the disciples, you see the human face. Peter stumbling at the crucifixion. Simon, Simon, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith failed. I know specifically that you're going to make stumble and fall, but I have prayed for you that your faith fail not. The foundation is sure. That is where our confidence is, not in Peter, not in the rest of the disciples, not in the men who are responsible today, not in our forefathers that helped us get to where we are today. The foundation, other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The book of Acts, you page through the, the various accounts and, and you see them working it out, binding and loosing. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Administering the principles as they faced the issues of the day. How did they know in finding a replacement for Judas, how did they know how to, how to do that? Well, clearly the Holy Spirit directing, and I've heard people criticize what they did, and I see no, no reason at all to criticize it. With Matthias is never specifically mentioned, but the twelve are mentioned after Matthias' ordination or selection, whatever you would like to call it, 
But how did they know to lay these, when they couldn't decide between the two, to present it to the Lord and have a lot, an ordination? I will give unto you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. They applied the principles to the word of God. How did they know? When people started complaining, it's not fair. You know, the Greeks. Acts 6, in those days when the number of the disciples was multiplied, there rose a murmuring of the Grecians against the Hebrews because their widows were neg neglected in, in the daily ministration. How did they know what to do? There was no precedent for leadership. Deacon, they had no deacons in the church. The twelve called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said it is... Oh, and here it is. The twelve called. So Matthias was included there. Confirmation that what they did was right. They called the multitude of the disciples unto them and said it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. And we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so they chose these six. How did they know to look out, choose out from among you a leader instead of going somewhere else? How did they know the principles Choose seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom. They didn't have the qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We do have them. They're charting uncharted territory. But Jesus had specifically given them the authority to bind and loose, to exercise the principles of the kingdom of heaven. How confident can we be that they got it right? Can we trust the Apostle Paul, who had the dispute with Barnabas because John Mark traveled with them on the first missionary journey and then left halfway through and so they want to go back and revisit the churches Barnabas says let's take Mark along and Paul says no I don't think that's appropriate and the contention was so sharp between them that they parted ways one to one from another can we be confident that they did the right thing well not in man but the foundation is sure Can we be confident that they did the right thing? Acts 15 in the Jerusalem Council, the major question of the day that they faced, what do we do with the Gentile converts? Do we require them to keep the law? And much of the New Testament addresses the, the letters to the churches, Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, all either directly or indirectly address the question, how do we apply the principles of the kingdom of heaven to the Jew-Gentile question. Galatians chapter 2. 
Some think this was written after the Jerusalem Council. Some think before. In either case, <clears throat> it doesn't give us a very confident picture of this incident of if our confidence would be in men. Galatians 2 verse 11 but when Peter was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face, because he was to be blamed. For before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them which were the circumcision. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also was carried away with their dissension. But when I saw that they walked not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, I said unto Peter before them all, If thou, being a Jew, livest after the manner of the Gentiles, and not as do the Jews, why compellest thou the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? We who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. The human face of minding and loosing, working out the principles of the kingdom of heaven. Our confidence is not in them, but our confidence is that the foundation stands sure. Because other foundation can no man lay than that is laid. Second Peter 3. <clears throat> we, we're confident that Peter and Paul got past that little confrontation. But it was a very human confrontation. Second Peter 3 and verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking of them in those, these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they there unlearned and unstable, rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Well, like they say, good luck with that. If the Apostle Peter is struggling with what Paul is writing, you know, he's writing a lot of things, some things hard to be understood. So how are we supposed to understand it 2,000 years later out of the context in which it was given? And the Apostle Paul, in bringing the letter to the Romans, lays these deep truths and halfway through the book comes in and says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. Or who hath known the mind of the Lord? Or who hath been his counselor? The unsearchable riches of Christ. Who hath known the mind of the Lord? The greatest theologian, arguably, of all time. Laying the foundation and the principles for the kingdom of heaven. Working them out. And coming to the place where he admits that I really don't know. That God really is unsearchable. He's given us everything that we know, but there, that's both a frustration 
but also a lot of confidence, the fact that we won't be able to completely figure it out. If he would be finite, something that we could understand and know, then he wouldn't be God. Our confidence is not in the flesh, not in men, not in the apostles, not in leaders today, but our confidence is that the foundation is sure. If we move past the book of Acts and go into the early church, the past beyond the apostolic period, once the apostles were gone, now they're off of the scene. How confident can we be that from there, that, that the early church fathers got it right. How confident can we be that they got this right? The Bible didn't come with a table of contents. Table of contents. These are the books that are included in the New Testament. But men sat down with all of the letters that were, were circulating in the churches and compiled the scriptures some 200 years after they were written and put them in the form that we know it today. Can we be confident that they got it right? Not if we trust on, in the men that did it, but the foundation is sure, and therefore we have confidence that the word is sure. And even how confident are we that this version of it is is right the king james version you can get all kinds of arguments you know king james only it's in this inspired word or other versions can we answer that question with any degree of confidence not if we depend on the men who did the translations, there are errors. I can guarantee you there are human errors in, in the Word of God. And that doesn't, that doesn't diminish the authority of the Word of God. It only says that God used humans to put it together. How confident can we be that the Catholic Church, who preserved the Word and you know their monks sitting at tables maybe like this, hours upon hours, copying scripture. We can be thankful that they did and that they passed it on. But they also made, you know how when you get tired, you rewrite a word or you get the order wrong. And so those kinds of things happened. That doesn't diminish the authority of the word of God. God's word is sure. <clears throat> when heaven and earth passes away, the word of God will still Stand Not this physical word, this will burn up with everything else, but the eternal word of God, that word which was in the beginning, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by him, without him was not anything made that was made. That word... That is, was in the beginning with God before any written word, and it was God, that is solid and is sure, and we have a, 
as much as possible a human representation of it that we can look to and with all confidence that this is the Word of God. We accept human... We know that if people are putting it together, there will be mistakes made. Our confidence is in the foundation being sure in Jesus saying, I will build my church. And so we can be sure that as they put it together, the Holy Spirit was working and bringing all these, these things together. Surely it fell apart in 312 when Constantine... made the church, the official religion, married church and state and brought them together. It was a time of uh, tremendous theological debate. Who Jesus is, was he all God? Was he just a man who did good things? Or was he God and man? We take it for granted. We understand the Trinity and that Jesus was both God and man. That wasn't so clear back in, at that time. There, there was tremendous debate on the nature, the person of the Lord Jesus. And so we had these councils, bishops, churches, leaders got together to hammer out this theology. The Nicene Creed from 325 A.D. basically answered the question about the person of Jesus. We believe in God. We believe in the Lord Jesus who was God, the only begotten. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Jesus, all God and at the same time all man. A very foundational principle in understanding the work and person of, of Jesus. Very clearly taught in Scripture, but it was helpful to bring it together in a document, the Nicene Creed. And we draw from that our baptismal vows. You're planning a baptism in a few, few weeks. Basically the Nicene Creed. Do you believe in one eternal, one True, eternal, almighty God, the creator of all things, visible and invisible. Do you believe in Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, and that he gave himself, died on the cross? Do you believe in the Holy Spirit? Can we be confident that they got it right? Particularly when you think about it, that the, nice, the Council of Nice was called under the direction of Constantine, and he actually presided over the proceedings. How much confidence does that give us in, in um, that they got it right? Not a lot, but the foundation is sure, and so we have that confidence. And then from Constantine on, the church truly in a dark period. 1500, 
tremendous corruption, unholiness in the priesthood. 1517, the Martin Luther and the 95 Theses, they break, and then a few years later, the Anabaptists, 1525. But for those 1,500 years, it was basically a Catholic church. And our confidence, again, is not in what they did, even though many of the things still stand today. We still draw from them, the Nicene Creed, the... Um, Fifteen twenty five, the Anabaptist movement, and then we can move forward another five hundred years to our time. And again the question is, how confident when we consider that history and the men that God used to write the history, knowing the failures, that we are where we're supposed to be today. Can we be confident in that? And I would say Absolutely, yes. Our confidence is not in the system, it's not in man, but because the foundation is sure. The kingdom of heaven, kingdom principles, the disciples were given the keys to the kingdom of heaven, the binding and loosing, the book of Acts, the letters, and we are the benefactors of that plus 2,000 years of history that bring us to where we are today. Most of the metaphors in the church that are given, the body of Christ and the sheepfold, many of those are a point in time. So when you think of the body of Christ, your congregation here is a representation of the body of Christ, the membership, the, the arms and the feet, and the, the working of the kingdom in your community. The picture of the Lord Jesus in today, as it is in the Prairie Mennonite Church. There's a metaphor that's used in the New Testament that I like, and that is of a building because not only does it have us currently today, but you get the impression that it is a continual building from the time of the Lord Jesus, the apostles. And I think if we follow that... <clears throat> Hebrews 3, 1 through 6... Wherefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him that appointed him, as also Moses was faithful in all his house. For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath builded the house hath more honor than the house. For every house is builded by some man, but he that built all things is God. And Moses verily was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken after. But Christ, as a son over his own house, 
Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm unto the end? Christ as a son over his own house, whose house are we? 1 Timothy 3:14. These things I write unto thee, hoping to come unto thee shortly. But if I tarry, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Ephesians 2, 19. Now therefore we are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, and Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, whom you also are builded together for a habitation through God. I like that picture. Not just us sitting here today. A house you are building together for a habitation of God through the Spirit, but it has the foundation, the Lord Jesus Christ, and all the apostles, and as Peter says, you also as lively stones. And I would suggest this morning that the Prairie Church, today as you sit here, are indebted to Yes, the foundation is sure, but you are the product of 2,000 years of church history and living it out, binding and loosing the keys, the, um, working out the principles of the kingdom of heaven. 1 Corinthians 3. Verse 5, <clears throat> Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers, by whom you believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burnt, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. You are laborers together with God in this building in this church, in this place where God wants to meet with you. Let every man be careful how he builds thereon. There's some work that will be destroyed that didn't endure the abuses of the Catholic Church and system. I said that we, we still have effects and influences, but much of that work didn't withstand the test of time. 
and was burnt. The challenge for us today as we consider the work and the continuing of the binding and loosing, applying the principles in the kingdom of heaven is to be careful of the work that we do. Every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. How are we doing in the building of the kingdom? I would suggest today that you can sit here with all confidence that you are where God wants you to be. With all confidence that the things that have been bound and loosed and have brought us to this point are as they should be. Not because of man, but because the foundation of God is sure. A couple of concluding thoughts. We are responsible for what we know. Our knowledge and our position in history or in, in uh, teaching doesn't make us better or superior, but it does make us responsible and accountable for what we've been given. We can be absolutely convinced about our doctrine and practice without being proud or arrogant about it. Anabaptist churches have been successful historically in proclaiming a living faith that demonstrates the kingdom principles as Jesus taught, that demonstrates the binding and loosing and the working it out. We can draw lines on fellowship without being judgmental. We can be absolutely convinced that you're right without needing to come to conclusions about all other possibilities. We understand that the kingdom of heaven, we, we can't define that in our human minds. But we can be convinced without being arrogant or without being judgmental on other people and other practices. Finally, the bride of Christ, the kingdom of heaven, is, includes everyone. We don't know the limits. The bride of Christ, Revelation 19, 6 through 9, brings it once more into the universal. There will only be one bride of Christ. There will be many local congregations. The kingdom of heaven is ill-defined, but all... How do I want to say this? All churches that are truly a part of the the bride of Christ will be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Um, <clears throat> Revelation 19 and verse 6, I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters as the voice of many thundering saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him for the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife hath made herself ready, and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. And he saith unto me, Right, blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true sayings of God. May we be convinced 
May we be blessed by the fact that the foundation is sure and absolutely convinced that we can, we are where we are, not by our choice. I mean, it is by choice, but our confidence is in the fact that the foundation is sure.